All right, let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for bringing us here this morning on a sunny Sunday morning, Father. Thank you for the little reminders, the little winks you give us. Sun on our face, warm weather, Father, just trees and plants and grass and everything's just growing new life, Father. We're just so grateful to be a part of it, grateful to be able to appreciate it. May we never become familiar with it, embrace it for what it is, an expression of your love by means of grace. Father, we pray for those in the congregation that can't be with us here this morning, that you heal them and comfort them and know that we are with them in spirit. Father, we pray for those that are still lost in this world as well. They're just hopeless and helpless without your help. Maybe they don't even realize it yet, Father, but we pray for the opportunity to give them the gospel so that they might be set free for all of eternity. We might have additional brothers and sisters in Christ forever. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work to cancel out that debt and to make a morning like this just a wonderful time to rejoice in, to relish, to fellowship in. We do just ask for your blessings on this morning's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. I also forgot to mention that Mr. Scott Viveros is back there training. Right? Scott? He looks, he looks like a deer in the headlight. <laughs> Anyways, it's not too daunting. It's pretty, pretty straightforward. Uh, the other side of grace. So happy Sunday. Uh, are you glad? Are you glad to be here this morning? Uh huh. What? Are you grateful to God for this blessing? Right. Is this experience guaranteed to exist until the? Hey, let me finish. You guys are all riled up. Should have been here Thursday night. Is this experience guaranteed to exist until the day you die? Nope. It's just not. And you have to rejoice in those times when God has made it available to you. Amen? Up here on the board, Ecclesiastes 3.1 in the Amplified reads, there is a season, a time appointed for everything, and a time for every delight and every, or excuse me, an event or purpose under heaven, a time to break down and a time to build up. There is a season, a time appointed for everything. As we've learned, Solomon asked for wisdom. Solomon's the writer of Ecclesiastes, of course. He asked for wisdom and he received it in abundance. He had a lot to say about the fleeting aspects of life. 
Ecclesiastes is a wonderful read because it cuts right to the chase without any fanfare. It just cuts right to the chase. Solomon puts everything in its proper place, its proper perspective. Go to Ecclesiastes 1, verse 1. Ecclesiastes 1, verse 1. It's what's so great about this book. He just cuts to the chase. He says, listen, guys, kind of in lay terms, right? Been there, done that. Tried everything. Just tried everything, every angle into happiness, any other alternative to find peace and contentment. And this is what he had to say. The wisest man. Ecclesiastes 1.1 The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness, a man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Amen? There's nothing new under the sun, folks. That thing you dealt with this morning, it's happened a bazillion times in the past. Your emotion, whether high or low, has happened untold times in the past. Your life is not that uncommon. Unique, granted, but not really uncommon on the grand scheme of things. Whether you're married with kids or single or you know, hyper-educated or not really educated or uh, working your tail off or not really, I don't know, Whatever the angles are, whatever the options are in life, uh, it's just not uncommon, right? So the Spirit's had a lot to say about grace lately and blessings. and Something as fleeting as, temporal, as a temporal blessing may be the cause of much angst in our souls. Here today, gone tomorrow, in other words. But it's nothing new. Even that emotion, like, oh, I missed so-and-so, or I missed that, or I wish I had some more of this, or I wish I had more of that. 
you know, because it's gone. Those emotions, they're not new. Everybody's been through it. People have been complaining about the ebbs and flows of temporal blessings, which is really ironic when you think about it. How you come out on the other side of something you didn't deserve and end up complaining about it. It's really weird, right? It's like someone inviting you out to like a nice steak dinner or whatever your favorite dinner is. And instead of being afterwards saying, that was so amazing, I'm so grateful to God for that grace blessing, you say, ah, it's all over. We're, this, is, this is garbage. Life sucks. Like, remember Jonah? I Just kill me. Just let me die. <laughs> People have been complaining about the ebbs and flows of temporal blessings since the fall of man. We noted Solomon's famous words on Thursday as we reflected on Jonah's thoughts and activities in the book of Jonah. I mean, Jonah complained just like we all do. Just like the rest of us. And God used Jonah to teach us the following up here on the board in terms of gratitude. We must be grateful for the blessings we have today because there's no guarantee they will remain forever. That's life. Do you understand? That's life. There's nothing new under the sun. There's no guarantees in life per se other than those absolute ones like if you're a believer you will spend eternity in heaven with God. That's really something we can you know, rest on. But in terms of the now here and now. We must be grateful for the blessings we have today because there's no guarantee they will remain forever. And that's not a bad thing. That is the whole point. If you have the right perspective, it's never a bad thing. As is typically the case, God didn't just want us to relate to Jonah personally, which is something we would do but he also asked us to ponder the other side, right? We always tend to take a lopsided view into things. We always think about it from our vantage point. Oh, I can relate to so-and-so, right? Or I can, I can relate to that situation because I have been there personally and therefore in my myopic view of the world, that's all I'm going to focus on is that one angle into this situation. And you lose out. There's a whole other side of the coin. You see, you miss out on the blessing of expanding your viewpoint, your perspective. So, the Spirit also asked us to ponder the plant. Remember the plant grew up and shaded Jonah? We were all like, oh, Jonah, you know. He also said, put yourself in the position of the plant, where for a time you might be a blessing. You might be shade for someone who, regardless of why, is suffering. 
even if it's their own fault. Because who are you to judge? But you might be in the role of the plant. So we were also asked to relate to being a blessing in someone else's life for, you know, a season, a time appointed, to use Solomon's language. For example, up here in the board in the Amplified, James 2, 15 to 16 reads, If a brother or sister is without adequate clothing and lacks enough food for each day, and one of you says to them, Go in peace with my blessing, keep warm and feed yourselves, but he does not give them the, nece- the, necess- shoot, the necessities for the body, what good does that do? Here's my blessings. Go, my child. Be well. What what did that do? It makes you even worse because you actually recognize that that person has a real need. And you just waved your arm. That's worse than the person who doesn't recognize that that person has a real need. What good does that do? And what does that say? In that moment, what does that say about us? As we learned on Thursday, Jesus takes our love towards others personally. Go to Matthew 25, 37. Matthew 25, 37. This is the other side of grace. We tend to focus on receiving grace. Is that fair? It's true. Only one amen, huh? Only one greedy, selfish person who happens to be, you know, the longest standing member besides myself on the leadership team. I guess it's just you and I, man. We're upside down. Huh. Matthew 25, 37. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. The point is that it is important to Jesus personally that we care for one another. For this is how he expresses himself to humanity here on earth in his physical absence. I mean, how do you think? If I all right, if I was to come up to you, probably every one of you would probably call it a blessing, I would think. If I stood at the door, this is not going to happen. If I stood at the door on the way out and I gave everybody a crisp Benji, $100 bill. It's not going to happen, right? But you guys would be like, oh, what a blessing. Let's go get lunch. Let's go spend the day down in Newport. I don't know what you'd do, right? Some of you are like, honey, did you see that? I don't know what he's doing. He's crackpot. He didn't do nothing. Nothing happened. Some of you would say that's a blessing. Is that fair? Because it would let you do something nice, whatever. Um, well, where'd that blessing come from? An instrument 
being used by God to give you a blessing, a plant, to give you some shade from that life you live that's kind of hot, contested, and, you know, a grind maybe, a little, little, little relief, right? You get the point? That's this morning's message, the other side of grace. Instead of just us focusing on coming to church and, you know, like we do at the table. Give me some of that. Give me some of those taters. Give me some of that gravy. Let me just stuff my face. Let me go to Chick-fil-A and buy three chicken sandwiches. Or let me go to Kentucky Fried Chicken and get the family glutton bucket and I'll eat it myself in the car. Do you follow me getting at? We don't know how to do things in moderation. It's all about us. We just stuff ourselves. We're gluttons. Is that fair? TJ, me and you again. Let's just say it. Amen. Scott's like, I don't know what's going on right now. This is out of my comfort zone. Do I have to act like this too, being back here? Am I being groomed? Right? We're gluttons. We like to think about receiving grace. We don't always think about giving it. Is that fair? I think so. I really do. I think so. Um, But here's the funny thing, that Jesus really takes it personal when we do that lesser thing. Because as it turns out, we end up being the blessing that we want for ourselves. You follow? We are the instrument to do that very thing that we're all hyper-focused on. So you might argue that if it really is lopsided, and that's the general trend, probably not enough grace going around. We all want it, but we don't all want to give it. So the demand is higher than the supply, and there's an imbalance. Hmm. Jesus expresses himself to humanity through us. He uses you. Go to Ephesians 4.32. Ephesians 4.32. The other side of grace. He uses you. Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another. Sometimes that's, geez, that's just a wonderful place to start. Sometimes that, I could say that to married couples. Will you just stop for a moment and remember to be kind to one another? Because you're not kind anymore. Even I can see it from without. Will you just be kind to one another? Just stop. Remember who you are. You're better than that. You shouldn't be some nasty little, what, wildebeest? You shouldn't be that thing. You're better than that. Be kind to one another. Tenderhearted. Forgiving one another. Every time I've ever married a couple, ever, I always say forgiveness is one of the pillars of a good marriage. Without forgiveness... You are toast. Toast. 
Well, you did this thing, and on the grand scale of things, you're way worse than me. Oh, please. The fact that you're judging makes you worse. Without forgiveness, a marriage is toast. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. You forget? We're going to add things up. Shouldn't we just add it up in front of Christ? Oh, no, 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 no. Let's just be, keep it between me and my spouse, or me and my friend, or whatever that thing is. Verse 1, chapter 5. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Talk about grace. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Christ gave all. That's how we're to walk. Again, the good Lord uses you to express himself to humanity. Go to Galatians 6, 9. Galatians 6, verse 9. Good Lord uses you. What a blessing to be used in any way like that. Galatians 6, 9, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Some of you need to just pick up your... What? Skirt? I don't know. Suck it up, buttercup. Like, be a little tougher. You follow? Be a little tougher. Come on. Stop, stop being like that. Stop giving up and being that wildebeest because it's a little easier for your flesh to be that vile creature that just spreads awfulness in everybody else's life. It's just easy for the flesh to do that thing. And what's your excuse today? What's the flavor of the day? What's your excuse? You don't understand. Oh, don't I? There's nothing new under the sun. I don't understand. Have you walked in my shoes lately? Don't tell me I don't understand. There's nothing that uncommon about your life that you should be retarding grace from flowing through you hampering it somehow. Do not, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap. Remember, as Solomon said, there's a season for everything. If we do not give up. Verse 10, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Let us focus on good. So, again, the, the point here is always remember the other side of grace. Not just the obvious side, which would have been, in Jonah's case, the receiving side. Right? That's why he was miserable. He got so miserable, he said, I'd rather die. How do you end up there when thousands of people are going to get saved? How would you ever end up in that situation where you're so self-absorbed, so petty, that you would rather 
die than see someone be delivered by the hand of God. How do you ever get there? Wouldn't you want to be, regardless of how vile they are to you, wouldn't you want to be that vehicle? Wouldn't you want to see that thing happen? Wouldn't you want to have a front row seat? No, no, no. I'm just going to do, I'm going to go build a tent up on the hill far away from all this. And I'll do this. Oh, I knew he was going to do that. I knew his grace and mercy was going to steal the day. And I knew they'd get delivered. How selfish are we? And then he applauded God for the plant. As if what? He earned it? He was being a pouty little brat. Suggesting that, what? Thousands of people rot in hell? Get annihilated? And yet he has the audacity to say, oh, thank you for the plant. And then the audacity again to complain when the plant's gone? Just let me die. How self-absorbed was he in that moment? How self-absorbed are we? Just saying. Always remember the other side of grace up here in the board. Don't just remember Jonah. Remember the plant also. Don't just relate to Jonah, but relate to being the instrument God might choose to use at any time as a blessing in the life of another. Don't just remember Jonah. Remember the plant. You might be the plant. You might be the instrument that brings a little relief in a person's life. And you might have these ridiculous excuses as to why you don't want to. And that's all they are is excuses. Well, they deserve what they get. Oh, do they? Because last time I checked, if we deserve what we got, none of us would be going to heaven. Amen, DJ? Because I'm done with these people. Right? Scott's like, hey, is this when we do it? Yeah. Amen. Oh, mm, mm, mm. You're going to get the grunt going? I've got to be careful. I'm blowing out my voice. Still not 100%. The other side of grace. That's why the past week the Spirit has been emphasizing that you consider yourself a vital extension of this ministry. This isn't the Ed Collins show. This is us. This is our ministry. This is our church. This is where God uses us. This is where God prepares us to go out to be the plant for someone else. To step outside of our own selfishness, our own drama, and help someone else like we just read. As we noted in Ephesians 4.12, you are taught on beautiful mornings like this one for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. I asked you to start a class. It was a setup, right? You happy to be here? Yeah. Sun's out? Yeah. It's a blessing? Yeah. You're being equipped for the work of ministry, for that other side of grace. Are you in primarily receiver mode right now? Yeah. 
What if I decided I wasn't going to show up? What if I said, hey, look at that, someone who doesn't even attend the church just sent me a card with 25 bucks in it. True story. I got it this morning. With $25 in it, if I just said, I could go take this and go to Chick-fil-A right now and have a ball. <laughs> right? Eat until I was like this big. What if I did that? You'd be like, hey, 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 where's the plant? Where's, where's the pasta? I'm here to like, you know, engorge myself. What's up? Right? Yeah. Takes a faithful human being to do this thing. But it's not a one-way street. This is just the start of it. You are being equipped for the work of ministry. And you all are ministers. So I'm not a huge fan of titles. Right? I typically now sign my emails, except for those that it means something to, and I know it might make them stumble. But typically I sign my emails in my blogs as what? Ed Collins. It's not that there's anything wrong with the title pastor, and I, I appreciate those of you that address me that way, but I'm not a huge fan of titles because titles tend to carry with them other things. Like, I'm a ordained minister. I actually had an argument with someone that I used to know about that. I'm like, why do you call yourself a minister? Because I've been ordained by God. I said, we're all ministers, though. So why the distinction? Why are you minister so-and-so? Like, you know what I'm saying? This person was out there on, like, social media. Didn't just say the person, his name. He just said, it was minister so-and-so. I said, why do you have minister in front of there? I don't even have Pastor Ed Collins out there when I was on social media, which, right? Why do you do that? Because this person was hung up on titles. We no longer talk. And this is someone who I fed at my own house, at my own table. But you see, Everybody has their problems. For the work of ministry. The point is that your coming here has a ripple effect outside of this church. You are being equipped for ministry by grace. Up here on the board, perspective on grace. Grace must first be given through some instrument before it can be received. I mean, that's implied. In order for grace to flow freely, it mustn't be hampered by selfishness. Wanting to keep one's time, energy, finances for self. Like that little example I gave you that you laughed about. Taking my 25 bucks and peeling out of here before class started to go get some grub. Although, of course, Chick-fil-A is not open on Sunday, so shame on me. <laughs> Fool me. Right? The implication is for you to receive... Someone, by the hand of God, has to give. That's the other side of grace. As the Spirit's been pointing out for years now from this pulpit, grace is designed to flow, not be stockpiled. It's designed to flow, not be... The flesh says stockpiling's good. 
The new creature says, no, flow is good. Let's read Jesus' own words in parable form. Go to Luke 12, 13. Luke 12, 13. You see, it's not like that with God. You know, the flesh says, the more I have, the more I have. And God says, no, 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 no. The more you do that, the more you lose. Right? The more you give, the more you receive. In God's economy. Luke 12, 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. You already know where this person's head is at, right? But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And so he told him a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up for treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. He said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek His kingdom, and all these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Verse 34, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be 
also. What's the point of reading this? We have to consider grace from all angles within God's economy. Not just that self-absorbed one where, what have you done for me lately, God? More like, what can I do for you? What can I do for others to your glory instead of my own? Again, up here on the board, perspective on grace. Grace must first be given through some instrument before it can be received. It is implied. In order for grace to flow freely, it must be hampered, mustn't be hampered by selfishness. In other words, wanting to keep one's time, energy, finances for self. <clears throat> so I was thinking about that. And uh, give me a second, please. I was thinking about that. What about this thing, this selfishness thing? What's the easiest way to, you know, figure out if you're being selfish or not? Because, believe it or not, I don't know about you, but sometimes it gets a little confusing in there. Like, you know, and that's where prayer comes in. But maybe we think about it this way. The easiest way to think about this selfishness is to think about your motivation to give. In other words, your motivation to express God's grace to others. Do you give with pleasure or out of compulsion? If I was to, like we used to do, we don't do it anymore, if I was to pass the little basket around for, like, you know, giving to the church, would you give because you're like, oh, crap, i got to give something because everybody's watching me? <coughs> or would you give happily and say, I don't care who's watching. It has nothing to do with them. It's between me and the Lord. Do you give with pleasure or out of compulsion? Do you consider giving grace to another human being a privilege or a chore? Do you feel blessed when you do actually give? Or do you feel like you've lost something? Do you feel blessed when you do actually give? Or do you feel like you've lost something? The easiest way to identify selfishness is if you truly, and I mean truly, don't just word, you know, don't just flap gums on this one, even in your own soul. I mean truly understand Jesus' words in John 15. Go to John 15, 11. John 15, verse 11. <clears throat> Do you truly understand this passage? I mean, does it hit you to the core? Does it resonate with you? Does it excite you? Do you relate to it? John 15, 11. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. 
Jesus described there what it means to be in love. Did we have to read um, a romance novel? Nope. Do you have to have some long romance, marriage, relationship? No. No. You can be wholly in love, in this precious love, all by yourself. It's not about other people. It's about you and God's love, the sphere of his love. So Jesus described what it means to actually be in love in the sense that I teach it from this pulpit, to be in the sphere of God's love holistically. Not just saying, you know, that you love Jesus or you love others. Not just saying it. But where it becomes you. Where you're in the sphere of that love. And it becomes you. You and that love are inseparable, in a sense. You cling to that with every fiber of your being. Say, this is where it's at. I'm going to stop looking, searching for this thing in all the wrong places. Looking for love in all the... Remember? That would have been beautiful if it wasn't for my voice. Just saying. Right? I'm going to stop looking to be fulfilled. To have that joy full in me in other people. What a train wreck that is. Amen? <laughs> what was that all about? Hey, Todd, Kathy was like, ooh, ooh, too, so you settle down back there. I'm just kidding. I'm going to stop looking for love in all the wrong places. Because there's no human being besides Christ but he's not here right now, that's going to do this, that's going to fulfill that void. You know, the one that was ripped open with all that, I don't know, and helped with all that dysfunction you lived with as a child, let's say, and then it just steamrolled and snowballed into your early adulthood where you were a complete train wreck because you, you know, whatever, and you kept looking, looking for love in all the wrong places, and then because of that you made all those horrible decisions, right? You get scars, emotional, physical even, diseases even, that you drag around with you for the rest of your life because of those terrible, terrible decisions made for looking for something in the wrong place. Say, I want to be in love too. I just watched the the, you know, the high school musical movie or this, you know, this Pretty in Pink or Sixteen Candles or whatever the heck those movies were that we used to watch when we were kids, right? And I want that too, right? I want it. That's, that was the lie that helped you with all that dysfunction, that got you thinking, i got to find love 
in another person or in some other circumstance. It's been here all along. Jesus said, your joy can be full. If you learn to love the way I did, I just lived for other people. I lived to do my Father's will and to love others. And look at his life. He loved so much, he was willing to go to the cross and die rather than give up that love. It was worth it. That's what it means to be in love. You know what? Even an unbeliever can say, I love Jesus. Even an unbeliever can say, they love you. Big deal. Don't wait on them. And don't buy the lie that that's what you need to be in love. So I'm talking about what we might call a transformational love. I mean something that completely transforms you, takes you to another place, changes you completely. That's what I'm talking about. That kind of love. That can never happen between you and another human being on this earth. So don't even put that burden on someone else to boot. That's not gracious at all. It's awful. So I'm talking about transformational love, not just love that you read about that is entirely selfish. Or you watch on a screen. You know, the subjective kind that depends on the worthiness of the parties involved. You know, whether you're giving, are they worthy of your love or are you worthy of their love? that awful, insecure, hyper-dependency on the other person, all that garbage. Leave that for the unbelievers. Honestly. Leave that for them. You've got something way better. I'm talking about a love that motivates you to want to give grace to others that prays at night to be used to God's glory, that wakes up hoping to be used as an instrument of righteousness. That's the kind of love I'm talking about because that's the kind of love that Jesus was referring to. In verse 13, greater love is no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. That's what Jesus was talking about. A selfish person doesn't do that. And a selfish person is a miserable person. Up here on the board. Being in love. Everybody's favorite topic, right? Just go on Netflix, right? It's all about being in love. How they met on the dance floor and by the next day they were madly in love. Because you know that's how it works. Right? You meet somebody at the club. Do some embarrassing stuff out there on the dance floor. The next thing, yeah, 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 you're in love. Fast forward, I don't know, a week, a month, a couple years, maybe a ruined marriage, I don't know. Who knows? How'd that end up? How'd that work out for you? Well, you met that person on the floor in the, the club. 
and you were so in love because, you know, 50 Cent was playing. Talking about the club. Right? He's so in love. I'm just talking about the over 60 crowd in there. <laughs> like, who's 50 Cent? Is it like a silver dollar? <laughs> Being in love. In other words, there's no better place to be for you or for others than abiding in the sphere of God's love. That's what Jesus was saying. He said, I want you here with me. I want you in here with me. Okay? You're my bride. I want you here with me. I want your joy to be full. I want you to experience what it really means to be in love. How many wives did Jesus have? None. Kids? None. Oh, so you mean you don't have to have a wife and kids? Or you don't have to have a family, a spouse, and, and, a, and a two and a half kids and a white picket fence to be in love? No. Not at all. If that was in the Bible, I would teach it. But you know what? It's not. It's not. There's no better place to be for you or for others than abiding in the sphere of God's love. That's what Jesus was getting at. I want you here with me so that you can have the blessing of knowing and experiencing what it means to love and live for others. That's the other side of grace. That's the other side of grace. And that's the one that gives you so much. See, the flesh thinks that it's about receiving. It's this side of grace. It's when I get. It's when I get. No. It's when you give. That's the greater blessing. It's not when you get. That's what little people think. No offense if you're little. Sorry. I should say young, immature. I was speaking figuratively. Okay? That's what immature people think. Mature people think, heck, I know. I know what Jesus meant when he said, greater love is no one than this. Then one lays down his life for his friends. I know what that means because that's where all my greatest blessings have come from. This kind of love transcends earthly carabouts. Like we just read about in Luke 12. Why are you worried? Why are you so anxious? Why is so much anxiety overtaking you? What are you worried about? Are you living... Are you living for self? Is that what's going on? Is that why you're anxious? Because this stockpile's not big enough yet and you've got to figure out the next new way to make it taller, to make it bigger, to make it better than the Joneses so you can measure up to mommy and daddy's expectations. You know those perverted ones they set when you were a kid? You know those kind of things. The ones they throw in your face, the one your favorite cousins and your brothers and sisters who are disgusting throw in your face and say, look what I just drove up in. Look at my house up on the hill. Look at my new extensions. <laughs> right? Look at my wedding ring. It's giant. I could barely hold my arm up. And look at your pebble. <laughs> right? And you buy the lie. 
and you fall out of love with Christ, then you get back into the rat race and say, I got to grind a little harder. I got to do this a little bit more. You missed. You missed it. You went from the potential of being having your socks blessed off by being a giver in love with Christ to being a receiver again. Just interested in stockpiling so that your creature credit can tally up better than the next person. And you know, everybody's got that in their life, right? Everybody's got that one person that as soon as they show up, you're like, like, what is what was that guy's name? Oh man, Ignacio Montaña. What was that guy's name from Princess Bride? Prepare to die. Right as soon as as soon as that person shows up, you're like, right? I'm going to annihilate you with my creature credit. You follow what I'm getting at? Everybody's got that person that shows up, and all of a sudden hackles on your back. Right? You like that cat? You know what I'm getting at? Don't make me do that again. Please. Everybody's got that thing. That should be a testimony to yourself that you're still weak. That it's not that hard to take you out of love. Instead of praying for that person because they're obviously weak. No, no, no. You, you fall out of love. And you know what happens. The rest is history. I'm talking about love that transcends earthly careabouts. Jesus talked about selflessness, selflessness and love in the same breath. Talked about love transcending all earthly matters, even sin. This is apparent in the teachings of his apostles like Peter. Go to 1 Peter 4, 8. 1 Peter 4, verse 8. I wonder what uh, Satan or the demons think. They're probably like, man, that person's so easy. They're so easy to trip up. All I got to do is send that moron in there. Right? Prepare to die. Inigo Montagna. Oh, man. Inigo, though, right? He had the weirdest first name, Inigo. Inigo Montoya. Yeah. Anyways. 1 Peter 4, 8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Okay, visualize this. The only way to cover something is to rise above it, right? If I say, you know, cover this thing, I have to go like this, right? The only way to cover something is to rise above it. That's what love does. It rises above. Up here on the board, the difference between selfishness and selflessness. Selfishness exists in the details of life. Remember what we're doing here, by the way. We're still trying to dissect when we know or how we know we're selfish. We're still doing that. That's what we're doing right now. We're just digging. Selfishness exists in the details of life. So if that's you, if all you worry about, you wake up in the morning and you say, 
I ain't got time to read a blog or go to church because I got to go to work to build up my thing. That's you. You're a selfish person. And your misery comes from that. And don't lie to yourself and say, I'm not miserable, I'm so happy. Because you're not. Because you can come to my office and I'll tell you how you're miserable. Everybody's like, I'm not going in that office. <laughs> I thought he was going to give me 100 bucks. Now I got to go in the office? I don't like that place. Selfishness exists in the details of life. I hope you know what I mean. Selflessness rises above it all. Seeing it all as truth and exists in the sphere of God's love where grace is the currency and it flows freely. We just read that, didn't we? God's like, why are you worried? Jesus, why are you worried about that stuff? Jeez, I take care of the lilies. I take care of the birds. What are you worried about? Selfish people are preoccupied with self. Selfless people are preoccupied with others. So there you have the answer to the running question on the table. Let me say it again. Selfish people are preoccupied with self. Selfless people, the blessed ones, this is the whole point, the ones that are truly blessed, the ones who are in love, the selfless ones are preoccupied with others. That's the other side of grace. So that's the answer to the running question on the table. This is how you identify if you're a selfish lover or not. Is it your end goal to gather unto yourself, even in your relationships? Or is it your end goal to lift up others by grace giving? Jesus said this up here on the board, Matthew 10, 8, freely you received, freely give. That's the sphere. That's the flow. That's the cycle. That's the economy. That's why I use that word economy, because it flows. Freely you receive, freely you give. As we just noted in Jesus' parable of the rich man, to stockpile God's grace is to remain preoccupied with the details of life. And by definition, this places you in the selfish zone, where, to your own detriment, blessings simply don't exist. In that zone of self-absorption, selfishness, those blessings are lost. The potential is now gone. It's kaput. You lost it. So the point is, to Jesus' parable, this kind of selfishness damages you in the end. It may seem like a good idea, but it damages you in the end. That's what he was teaching. It may seem like you're doing yourself a favor in the moment, but as Holy Scripture states, do not be deceived, God is not mocked. Galatians 6, 7. So, What's the Spirit trying to impart to your soul this morning? There's nothing new under the sun. Perspective. Do you perceive yourself as surrounded by the cares of this world? Go ahead, take a, think about that. When you think about yourself, do you feel oppressed? 
Do you feel like the pressures of the world are on you all the time? Do you perceive yourself as surrounded by the cares of this world and it's oppressive? Ask yourself that question. Or, or would you like to transcend above it all? Like some have in the faith. And it may take a long time, so don't give up, right? Do you see yourself above it all, transcendent? Like the weightiness of the details of life are below you? You follow what I'm getting at? You're almost standing on them instead of trying to hold them up. You're like standing on the details of life and you say, God's got my back. Right? You're standing on them. They're not pressing you. Which one's you? Are you in the mire? As the Apostle Peter described it up here on the board, 2 Peter 2, 22b, the dog returns to its own vomit. And the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. I'm very confident that Many of you, if not all, I hope, understand and have been delivered. And, and you're right there. You know when the Spirit does that, right? A little light bulb's going off, but it's only like about three watts. It's like, I think I get this. But it takes a while. Some of you, it's 50 watts, some 100. You know what I'm saying? It's going to take you a little while. But are you going to... I mean, I'm convinced that that's happening. But are you, going to lo- are you going to leave here and go right back underneath it all and say, I need to hold this up. The details of life are oppressive to me. You're going to go right back into that slot. You know, that old familiar saddle where you were born. Because we're all born selfish. We have to be delivered from that thing. You're going to go right back there, or you're going to eventually grow out of it. Because that's what Peter was writing about. A person that goes right back to it. This is why he teaches messages like this. You understand? The other side of grace. Not just that one that everybody talks about. Of receiving. Oh, I go to church to receive. I get. Love God's grace. Love God's grace. The other side is where freedom is. The other side. You have to get out of your own way. You were born in your own way. You were born horrifically selfish. Amen? I think I heard Scott. You were born horrifically selfish. You've got to get out of your own way because all the blessings are on the other side of that. Where you start living for, for others. Start saying, oh, when am I going to eat my next prime rib? When am I going to have my next this? When am I going to get my next hair extension? When am I going to get my next, you know, whatever? Why is it always me, me, I, I, me, I? You never thought to put those things together and say, maybe that's why I'm so miserable? Maybe that's why I'm so miserable? 
That's why I feel so oppressed all the time, anxious. Because in my viewpoint, it is about me. In my viewpoint, these are my problems. I'm even selfish about my problems. I don't hand my problems over to God who says, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. These are my problems. I've owned them since I was young. It's my dysfunction. I'm the one who screwed up. I'm the one with the diseases. I'm the one with this. I'm the one with the track record of, of a mess. Look at my wake. I own this. Wrong. You want to stay in, in bondage? Keep doing that. How's it been working so far? Just asking for the first 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years of your life. How's it been working so far? You gotta get to the other side. You don't go back to the mire. Don't let that light bulb come on and then as soon as you go outside, you unscrew the bulb. And get right back into that saddle. Go to Proverbs 26, verse 11. Peter was borrowing from this, of course. Proverbs 26, verse 11. You might say, I don't I, you know. You know what, Baldy? I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it. All right, well, you be wise in your own eyes. How about that? Because I'm teaching the truth. That I know. If you don't think that, go somewhere else then, honestly. I, I encourage you to, honestly. Proverbs 26, 11, Like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. Been there, done that. Right? Do you see a man, verse 12, do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. A man wise in his own eyes, you ready? Is overcome with selfishness. Think about that this weekend. A man wise in his own eyes is overcome with selfishness. Here's what Peter had to say about that up here on the board. 2 Peter 2.19 For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. So if you're overcome with selfishness, you know what? You're a slave to it. It's mine. That's mine. All the good that I've done is mine. But I'm such a man, I'm such a person of integrity that I will take on the bad stuff too. That's mine too. I'm just going to be selfishly hoarding the entire lot of stuff. I'm going to be selfish. It's my good. It's my bad. It's mine. But Jesus purchased you. So you're his. Leave that stuff up to the unbelievers. Leave that up to the unbelievers. You let them be enslaved. You let them be overcome by their own selfishness. You be overcome by selflessness and be enslaved to righteousness. 
Because one way or the other, Romans 6, you are a slave to unrighteousness that leads to death or righteousness that leads to life. Amen? That's the truth. You've got to get to the other side. That's what these messages are about. So you can get beyond yourself. Get to the other side. Are you overcome by selfishness or selflessness? Because it matters a lot. It really matters. Remember that joy? I want that joy to be full in you. What does that mean? Love like I loved. Lay down your life for others. It's my command. What do we learn about commandments, abiding in commandments and love? They're the same. This is my commandment I give to you. You love one another, just like I loved you. Who said that? Jesus. Up here on the board. What do you do with God's grace? I'm going to have to end here because my voice is about ready to shoot out onto Joey's lap. What do you do with God's grace? God's grace is designed to be fluid. It pays dividends in your life when it passes through you into the laps of others. The gospel is the primary example of this in our lives. God saves us and then leaves us here to spread the gospel to others, something we aim to do daily. As the Spirit asked us a moment ago, what's He trying to impart to our souls this morning? Perspective. That's all it takes. Do you see yourself surrounded by the cares of this world and therefore seeking self-preservation? In other words, abiding in the sphere of selfishness? Or do you see yourself above it all, transcendent, seeking to preserve the welfare of others, beginning with their spiritual health? You see the perspective difference? You're either above it all or you're in the mire. If you're in the Maya, it's pressing. If you're above it, it's freeing. Now you stand on the details of life. You're not burdened by them. You're free of them. And if you say to yourself, hey, listen, like Paul, I've learned how to go with without. If, if God gives me this stage to walk around on for a while, and that's the extent of where I get to walk, then I'll be happy. At least I'm walking on top of it. If he gives me the parking lot, then I'll walk out there too. But if he shrinks it to just where I'm standing here for a time, then that's what I'll do. But that's still better than being under it. Stop being so self-absorbed. Take what he gives you. Learn to live with what he gives you. Right? And seek from that position. Seek to help others. Because now you've been set free of the bondage of this thing we call life. Really does come down to perspective. Yeah. I think I'm going to end there. You got enough for this morning? What's that? You got enough for this morning? No! My voice is shot. Who said no, Tom? Come on. Jim, jeez. 
I don't know what else to say. A lot has come out. That is true. I hope you do understand what the Spirit was trying to say, though. Just get to the other side. Keep that perspective that you're purchased by the very hand of God. You're His. This is His life you're living. To bring glory to Him. Let Him worry about the details. Don't let the world lie to you and tell you the details matter because you've got to measure up. You've got to have the biggest space. Instead of having a one-acre yard, you've got to have a ten-acre yard because your neighbors have nine. Shed all that. Rise above it. Get to the other side where it's more blessed to give than to receive. Amen? All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this privilege, this honor of being here to learn your word, to be set free by it. We just ask for your blessings as we take the things we've learned back to the privacy of our own souls, Father. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.